It's cold and rainy outside. And you know what that means. It's perfect weather for... The Galloway County Annual Chili Cook-Off in Cavemate Exposition. That's right. If you have pickled cavemate and chili... And you're not a c- And you're not a c- Get your ass out here! Some of the finest chefs in Galway County have been grinding meat all week. Coming up with the recipes concocted in their man caves. And now they bring the best chili for you to try! Oh, but it's not just chili! Sink your meat hooks around a nice, testy, scrumptious manwich. Try the footlong hot Douglas with a big steaming bowl of sunny beans. How about a nice feet and spicy hobo stew with a loaf of firstborn bread? That's finger licking good. If you like your dinner well done, try the grey meat of Ben McDew. Has the weather got you a wee bit chilly, Willy? Warm yourself with a bowl of wee chilli! Aye, and if you're in the mood for a wee nibble, try a basket of our South of the Border burritos. Would you like a leg or a thigh? I thought it was chilly. It is! And this year, we're featuring a vegetarian option. With 16 vegetarians for you to choose from. They're protein-deprived for easier pickings. But don't forget to wash it all down with a nice cold Dr. Pepper. Made with real doctors. The Galloway County Annual Chili Cook-Off and Cave Mate Exposition. If you don't come, you're a c- Hey, hey, everybody. Hey. Oh, hey. Welcome to the uh, hang, Hangover Podcast. Hi. hi. Oh. Not, not so loud, please, turn, turn. Can you turn the basement lights out real quick? Yeah. Just five minutes. Woo! <laughs> okay. Woo. So, um, had a lot of fun live casting the drinking. That's right. That's right. We did. I had hi, so... I'm David Flora, by oh, the way. Hi, I'm Dave Stecco. Yeah, this is Blurry Photos. Yeah. The drinking episode. Woo! <laughs> I had so much fun drinking, and the liquor had so much fun in my stomach that it just wanted it, to... It uh, didn't want the party to stop, it not so it decided party. to go yeah. s- seek other parties elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, it did, like the symbiote leaving. <laughs> it just slurched across the street and found another unwitting host. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, We are recording this not immediately following the uh, three hour. We went three hours we hard did. in the paint. Uh, because I just fell apart. <laughs> the wheels <laughs> fell off the wagon. And so we uh, are recording this the next morning, not drunk. Uh, and honestly, somehow not hung over. Yeah. I, I mean, I know why I'm not. I don't know why I'm not. <laughs> I think that I have uh, Wolverine blood. Mm, maybe. But uh, like you said, the symbiote left. Yeah. It left hard last night, and then, yeah, yeah, and, I, there, well, and there was nothing left of you. So. No, I think everyone, everyone who watched it, uh, and again, thank you guys. Yeah, thanks I everyone. Think we had a ton of fun. We did. We shot a crossbow. Yeah, that was yep. a bad idea. Yeah, uh, uh, I lassoed Flora. Yep, that's true. 
Um, but then I think what, 15 minutes or so before the end of the thing, I just got, I was like, I need to move. I just got up and walked away. And I he was, never came back. Yeah. never came back. I was like sitting down in the backyard cause it was nice and cool outside. I was a hot mess, just a hot mess. Uh, thank you, Maggie, for coming out for that. Yep. But, uh, so yeah, so there you go. So while I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys are going to be disappointed that, uh, I'm, I slash we are not screaming drunk right now. We really gave it all. <laughs> yeah, some gave all. Yeah. Some also gave all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, so we're we, bringing you the episode anyway. Yeah, we, we did kill a bottle of Jameson, and I had five Ginai. Ginai. I had a few beers, I a lot of Jameson, just a bunch of bad mistakes. Some, some... We, we learn every time we do these things. Yeah. And yeah. what we learned this time was don't don't make your base drink be the liquor. Yeah, just and hard then liquor. take shots in between. Yeah, it was a I any I could have easily seen that and I just didn't. So my bad. So let's let's just get to this now. I think that's enough, especially for anyone who didn't watch it or is just joining blurry photos. Right, right. So just know that we have uh, bad judgment. And by we I mean me, Dave Stecco. It, it, we we learned so much just in that we know what to do and what not to do because I was mixing a lot of stuff heavily with Pedialyte <laughs> water Gatorade like I was I was really trying to trying to juggle them yeah uh, and and I think it worked for me it did work for you I need to I need to do that next time I yeah need to so be more cognizant and and maybe that means we do another one give it another sh- shot sometime yeah and then in the no. not so distant future no i agree i think that we should i mean i don't think we're gonna do like a live well we'll do a we'll do Maybe. more live because that was a ton of fun it was a blast yeah so i think we're gonna have to come up with more fun things to do live i feel like sometime in the in the next year we we still owe a drunk episode yeah exactly so yeah. we, we will we will do that again i'm sorry that's on me because <laughs> flora could have done it flora absolutely could have recorded last night I could not. I actually got things set up, and I and then I was like, I don't know where you went, and <laughs> and then I like I went outside. You were you were out there, and uh, Maggie was like, I'll I'll help him, and and I was like, How long are you gonna be? <laughs> You're like, I just need five minutes. I just need five minutes, and then I need to go upstairs and like uh, like change my shirt. I just need. I, <laughs> and so I'm like, What is what is that? Then seven minutes? Like, <laughs> you, are you gonna be back here in seven minutes? And you're like, Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, you know, 20 minutes later, I go upstairs like searching around and I and I remember doing this like, "Oh, I'm going to find you. Oh, where are you hiding?" <laughs> like and like poking yeah, through your room. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't know Spoilers, you had this. I was in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear me doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I started like Jeff the mongoose scratching on your door. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's where I was like, "No, sorry. This is done." <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, I'm I, I tipped being. that point though. So, anyways, yeah, we uh gonna try it again at some point. I bet. Yeah. But so, sorry about that. We do have an episode here, a and good we're one. gonna we're gonna get it. It is it is a good one. Um, <laughs> it is a good one. Real gotta, deep on gotta, it. Gotta, I like that. I'm gonna shake my damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, gonna gonna be talking about Scottish cannibals. Oh, that's tender meat. <laughs> Of course, we've we've talked before about the implications and the heinousness of cannibalism. Yep. For reference, see the Windigo episode. Uh, also, for additional reference, Dark Mark Soloff and yep. Tori Bellardo did a two-part episode with 
uh, Ken Height. That's right. On cannibalism. That is very true. So it was good. Um, and uh, and this is considered you know one of the foulest acts that one can commit in most cultures. Mm-hmm. In large part because of how it expresses man's inhumanity toward man. Oh, now it sounds like an English term paper. <laughs> oh, uh, I write better papers now than I did in school. <laughs> right? <laughs> Not only is a human being a victim in cannibalism, a human being is also the culprit. That's right. It's a win-win or lose-lose. I get it. I'm just saying. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we are. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder what the over-under was on this episode where we got to that. <laughs> it is the complete breakdown of morality and society. A beast who eats people traveling through the woods alone is scary, but a man who does so? Why not Zoidberg? Why not Zoidberg? <laughs> Times can get tough, but for some... Not having grain in the storehouse was an afterthought. Many folks are familiar with how rough the history of Scotland was. It's been a hard and bloody struggle to carve out a spot in the north of England that the Scots can call a home. Tribal warfare, Roman occupation, Viking warfare, English occupation, infighting, independence, English occupation again. (laughs) Fighting, fighting, fighting. Great Britain united, fighting, fire, famine, golf. So on, so on, <laughs> into modern troubles that many countries deal with. But throughout its harsh history, Scotland has dealt with a fair number of something else atrocious that compounded the hardships. The aforementioned cannibals. cannibals. Yeah, whenever you have a, an area that is uh, stricken with famine on the reg, uh, then you're going to have some cannibal folklore, some cannibal culture. And, and some real and some cannibals straight up cannibal you're going to get some cannibals in there <laughs> fine young <cannibals. laughs> i was thinking you could probably get some cannibal corpses yeah well, drives me crazy uh tales of cannibalistic fiends and blackguards have passed through the ages in scottish lore with stories ranging from clans of degenerates to <laughs> singular madmen to a family of reprobates I kind of want to rename this podcast to Clan of Degenerates. <laughs> <laughs> the Unexpected Virtues of Cannibalism. That's right. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at infamous cannibals in Scottish history, the stories about them, and what truth we could find behind the legends. Who were Christy Cleek and Sawney Bean? Was there a curse on the Douglas clan? Get that cave fire going because we have a real toe pickling episode for you. Mm. Oh, that, I just, once I have one, I just can't stop. <laughs> They're like nuggets. Oh, pop them. Oh. No thanks. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Flora, let's get started with the Pliny esque account of the Scottish mob goblin. <laughs> In uh, bed with a mob goblin. <laughs> covered in mob, mob goblin, goblin vomit. <laughs> Kissing a mob, mob goblin. goblin. I'm an explorer. I'm a bird. <laughs> and I'm coming. <laughs> now that would be the best Skyrim mod. If you replace all of the dragon sounds with Alex Jones rants. Oh my God. <laughs> the Alex Jones mod. I'm a man. Did you hear that? <laughs> this is what a man looks like. <laughs> ah! 
Damn them to hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the term Scots became an all-encompassing term for the peoples living in what is now Scotland in the late Middle Ages. Before that, however, many ethno-linguistic groups. Wow, $20 word. I found it. Yeah. Found it on the street. <laughs> Just picked it up. Um, many ethno-linguistic groups were present in the area, such as the Picts, the Gales, the Saxons, the Britons. I mean, on any, and on and yeah. on and on. Yeah. Everyone rolled. It's so weird how many groups of people rolled through what is a largely inhospitable area. Yeah, yeah. Comparative and, and, to, a, and a comparatively small island. Yeah. I'm sure there's really good reasons for it because it There happened. are smaller islands. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Scott derives from the Latin Scoti, which is what the Romans called the Gales that were coming over from Ireland. And around this time, there were many different groups bopping around the north end of the island there, and we have reference to many from Roman historians at the time, one of which was the Atticati. We only know about this group of people through a couple of references from the writings of the Roman soldier-slash-historian Amiantus and St. Jerome, both at the end of the 4th century. Possibly early, uh, possibly the early fifth century Roman administrative document, Notitia Dignitatum, lists a few Atticati as levied soldiers as well. Saint Jerome's writing include an opinion on marriage, saying that, "Quote, Flora, you do the best Roman accent." Oh, do I? Yeah, you do. Do we want um, like Ben Hur a Roman or like? Yeah, I want to bet. Yeah, Ben Hur. <laughs> That's a good call. One should not be like the Scots, i.e. the Irish Scotty and the Atticati and the people of Plato's Republic to have community of wives and no discrimination of children, nay, more, to be aware of any semblance even of matrimony. I don't understand what he said. Oh, you shouldn't. So like they're, they're everything's just loosey-goosey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. There's, okay. there's no like sanctity of marriage kind of thing, gotcha. I think. You know what he also wrote? Why should I speak of other nations when I myself, a youth on a visit to Gaul, heard that the Edekadi, a British tribe, eat human flesh, and although they find herds of swine and droves of large or small cattle in the woods, it is their custom to cut off the buttocks of shepherds and the breasts of their women and to regard them as the greatest delicacies. Little shit. <laughs> Certainly an alarming practice, eating boobs and butts. <laughs> it is yeah. a weird choice. Yeah. I mean, God, oh. I know. Here's the thing. Butts, I get it. That's a big mm -hmm. slab of meat there. But a boob. Boobs all like memory sacks, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that, I don't feel like a boob's good eating. If you guys have eaten a boob, give us, uh, you know, send us an email, let us know. Uh, but I don't feel like that's good eating. Ugh. Um, but he also said that another group ate quote land crocodiles. <laughs> I've never, I mean, I've heard long pig on pork. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never heard of land crocodiles. Yeah. I think that was a, that was like a, here's, here's an animal that I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's kind of like a big lizard, so I don't know. Um, it's important to keep in mind that early historians love to say that exotic or unknown peoples preferred eating human flesh. And because nothing gets the reader all boned up like fear and excitement, which is true. Like every, 
we've seen this every place that explorers go it, oh it's full of savages and yeah. cannibals and it's quite dangerous and yeah and that's uh in some cases true but largely not right in the 14th century scotland was embroiled in constant war against england and edward the first and second farms were destroyed and villages decimated as famine steadily grew Life was miserable for those simply trying to survive. Many turned to scavenging and hunting in the woods, but it was just not sustainable. So starvation began to take life after life in the desolation, and tales say it was in this state of weakened body and mind that a group of men and women were trying to survive in a cave at the foothills of the Grampians in the Scottish Highlands. Incidentally, Dave, this is the mountain range that includes Ben McDewey. Nice! Leader of this small community was Andrew Christie, a butcher from Perth. Hoping to save this group, Christie foraged as best he could for nuts, grubs, and any wildlife, but soon grew too weak to do much. One day, a woman in the group finally succumbed to starvation, and Christie decided the worst had to be done. The group was fed, and Christie decided someone else should sacrifice themselves for the good of the group. They needed a little bit more energy. Boobs and butts for everybody. I know you guys are hungry. (laughs) Worst song. They drew lots and a woman was sacrificed. Having regained their strength, Christy thought they might as well find victims outside the group. So he led a small cadre to a mountain pass and began waylaying those traveling on horseback. He fashioned a large iron hook to the end of a pole and would use this to lodge into riders and drag them from their horses. Apparently, the name for a hook or crook like that back then was Cleek, and thus he became known as Christy Cleek. Of course, all this bloody practice did not go unnoticed, and before long, an armed force was sent to the hills to capture the cannibals. A vicious fight ensued, with most of Christie's group being killed or taken prisoner, but it's said that Christie himself escaped. The men found bones of the victims, and it was estimated that no fewer than 30 people had fallen prey to Christie Cleek. A quick coda about the tale, a 16th century chronicle of Scottish history mentions a 14th century character called Tristy Cloak, saying... There was such a miserable death, both through England and Scotland, that the people were driven to eat the flesh of horses, dogs, cats, and such like unused kinds of meats, to sustain their languishing lives withal. Yea, insomuch that, as is said, there was a Scottish man, an uplandish fellow named Tristicloak, spared not to steal children and to kill women, on whose flesh he fed as if he had been a wolf. Obvious parallels there, but what became of Christy Cleek? Well, Dave, if the stories are true. And they are. To believe. They should be believed. A short story about it provides one interesting, fanciful theory. Ooh, I like a fancy theory. Christy Cleek, Christy Cleek quickly became the national nursery bugbear. No child dared to cry after that charmed name escaped the lips of the nurse, and even grown men shuddered at the mere mention of the term. David Maxwell had a good wife, three young daughters, and was a well-liked and prosperous merchant in the town of Dumfries. 
He was applauded for his charity and godly manner, and he received great sympathy from those who knew him, as it was reported that he had lost an only brother among the victims of Christy Cleek. This fact had been carefully hidden from his wife until they quarreled one day over her constant use of the name to subdue their daughters when they were boisterous. The silence of the mother had, however, no effect upon the girls. To their father's dismay, the more they were requested to cease terrifying each other with its use, the more terrible it appeared and the more they used it. If they abstained from the use of the name in the presence of their parents, then the more it was heard in the passages and dark rooms of the house, wherever the dreaded being might be supposed to be. <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to, to be, be on that <laughs> supposition of position. Time rolled on and the father became a very old man and the three daughters grew into beautiful and caring young women who took delight in helping their mother to care for the invalid. You, you really need to know that part. You're right. After they became entrusted with the family secret, they replaced the cry of their youth with love and pity for the brother of the victim of the terrible fiend. At last, surrounded by his wife and family, it became David Maxwell's time to pass on to his eternal reward. He seemed, however, to be wrestling with some dreadful thought which allowed him no rest, but wrung from him heavy groans and muttered prayers. His wife pressed him to open his heart to her, as he had throughout their marriage, or, failing that, to allow her to send for Father John of the Monastery of St. Agnes and be shrived. The daughters wept to hear such melancholy statements, and the old man sympathized with them, which gave him additional pain. But what's the family secret? Are we about to find that out? Mm, I think we are. Okay. Just like he said it, and then it just kept moving. <sighs> After a great struggle, he turned to his wife and said... Every time you get me with these f***ing things. Alright. What is to take care of me, doctors? Doctors. Doctors. D-O-C-H-T-E-R-S. Yeah, it's all phonetic. What is to take care of me, doctors, when I are consigned to that cold habitation or a father's love and an enemy's anger or alike, unfelt and unknown? My effects will be sufficient for the support of my household, but money without a guardian is only a temptation to destroyers and deceivers. If I could get this point settled to my satisfaction, I might die in peace. You've never dealt me with your friends, David, said David. his wife. A circumstance that has oft grieved me. Why, here's hundreds of Maxwells and Dumfries on the Stuart tree. Surely among them's a relation, no matter how distant. Whose honesty you trust to act as guardian? Yet I didn't want relations, groaned the dying man. I hear a brother. A brother! <laughs> Chorused mother and daughters in astonished unison. Was he no killed by young monster, Christy Clink? No, answered David with great pain. Where does he live? And what's his Christian name? Speared the wife in something resembling a state of shock. Is it his Christian name, you ask? <coughs> Said the old man. Surely, David, replied the wife. His family name might be Maxwell. But it's not Maxwell. <coughs> Said the old man in great pain. No, not Maxwell, exclaimed his wife. Jesus. What is it then? Christy! <coughs> 
uttered the old man with a loud groan. The mere mention of the name produced a strange effect on the minds of both wife and daughters. Now, in place of the long-lost uncle, they saw not a helpless victim, but the hated Chris Steakleek himself, and also explained the horror that David Maxwell had shown whenever the name was mentioned in his presence. Mother and daughters retired for a few moments from their father's chamber to allow their excitement to settle and to gather their thoughts. By comparing notes, the... They came to the conclusion that their father, having been ashamed of his connection with the being, had, understandably, changed his name and stopped all discourse with him. Now on his deathbed, his feelings had overpowered him and forced him to make the awful confession. Realizing that he had no control over who or what his brother was, the family resolved to console the father in his grief and shame, and thus returned to his bedside. This brother, said his wife, I fear is little worthy of your friendship. And the change of your name is doubtless the consequence of virtuous shame at the connection. But can it really be true? Your brother is that man of the mountain cavern whose name safe frightens the bairns of Scotland. Tell us, David, is this the burden that troubles you, sir? Your wife and doctors will think nameless of you for having been unfortunate. This speech... As screechy and terrible as it was, <laughs> this ear-bleeding speech <laughs> apparently contained the fatal secret, for it had a great effect on the bedridden patient, who rolled from side to side and sawed the air with his sinewy hands, as if in a state of madness. We were speaking of a guardian for my daughter, he said at last. <clears throat> I said I had a brother, kid Christie. You promised me consolation. Is this your consolation, Teddy and man? For twenty years I've hated the very sound of that dreadful name, and now, when I'm on my deathbed, speaking of curators for my bairns, you rack my ears by telling me I'm the brother of Christy Cleek. Would Christy Cleek make a suitable guardian for my daughters? Would Christy Cleek take care of the bodies of Goud as well as he tended to his victims in the Highland Cave? Speak, Agnes. Which only a man in the throes of death would ask her to speak. <laughs> his wife saw that she had gone too far and begged his pardon for having made such a suggestion. You forgive me, David, she said. But the remark I made is doing you a great injustice. For how is it possible to conceive that sick good man as your seat couldn't be Yeah, yeah couldn't be so nearly related to a monster like him. But you'll hate to explain to me the change of name. How how of your brother I have you and your brother got different surnames. How oh, man? Jeez. Sorry, everybody. That's that's unfortunate. <laughs> I, I can see the recording from here. Oh yeah, look at that. That's fun. Because said the dying man, turning around to stare with lackluster eyes into the faces of his loving family. Because. I am Christy Cleek. <laughs> and the wife said, Oh, 
That's okay. We saw that coming like five paragraphs ago. Right. <laughs> she was really hoping that he would die before she finished talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's uh, that's the that's Christy Cleek. That's you know that that's what they say about old Christy Cleek, and then a story about yeah. where he got off to. Well, he's a real sack of shit too, because he's like, oh, I'm dying, and you're you're saying my brother's this terrible guy. Quit. F- with me quit <laughs> with me and she's like i'm sorry i shouldn't have with you and he's like yeah yeah because it's me <laughs> <laughs> what a dick yeah yeah that waylaying cannibal guy what a dick what a dick everybody remember <laughs> now in 1438 laird david barkley of kirkton hill and johnson what this is one of those Stratford upon Avon oh, okay. at, at yeah, Dumfrieshire. Yeah, this is a terrible place. In 1438, Laird David Barclay of Kirkton Hill and Johnson Mearns was fed up with having to write that out every time. <laughs> uh, he was done with the local sheriff, Melville of Glen Burvey. <laughs> Glen Pervy. There's like... <laughs> Right there's there's a wandering V you don't want to look at in there. <laughs> yeah, there. There is. What is that? Where does is it? Was that a court case? Glenn versus Burvey? <laughs> Probably. Um, Glenn Burvey. Yeah, Glenn Burvey. It's the weirdest lisp. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a Scots lisp, and mercifully it died out finally. Mm. <laughs> um, he thought the sheriff was overstepping his authority and was a general asshat. Uh, finally admitting that he indeed couldn't even. <laughs> finally admitting that he indeed couldn't even. <laughs> Barclay went to King James II to bitch about Melville. <laughs> he bitched so much that the king got tired of hearing it, declaring in exasperation that if he could not, that he could not care if Melville was quote sodden and supped in brew, <laughs> whatever that means. Oh. That was all Barclay needed to hear. And returning to Mearns, I think he means Kirkton Hill and Johnson Mearns. He and four others, four other lairds, arranged a hunting party to meet by the uh, to meet by the forest of Gar- Garvok <laughs> with with the rest of the Vulcans, uh, and invited the sheriff to join the fun. The the six men set off a hunting, and before too long, they came across a large cauldron filled with boiling water. What? Uh-huh. What's this doing here? How curious in the forest of Garvik. Look around. Might be a witch aboon. Uh, curious, the sheriff got down to investigate. As you can absolutely surmise, the cauldron was placed there on order from the lairds, and they wasted no time in pushing the sheriff in. Then they took out a horn spoon each and supped of the ghoulish brew. Ugh. Expecting a stiff clap on the shoulder from the king, Barclay returned with the news, but instead found a horrified monarch. James II refused to be implicated in the matter and denounced the lairds as outlaws. Barclay retreated to his remote beachfront castle, (laughs) which was called the Came of Mathers and holed up there for the rest of his life, presumably not being a cannibal, but who knows. Yeah. The ruin still stands at St. Cyrus, Cyrus Beach, and a, and a gully on Gavrock Hill near St. Cyrus is known as Sheriff's Kettle. Oh. So just, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, it, like, if, if you were like, oh, the, the, Ronnie Dirtnap's bothering me, 
and I I can't fucking stand them. And then classic dirt nap. Yeah, classic classic dirt nap. And <laughs> and then you're like, dude, I could give a two shits if that guy is made of two shits. And you're like, ha ha, I heard you. Right. How oh, to make him into two shits? <laughs> <laughs> like. Like it, that's it. And and the thing is, is you you push a guy into a cauldron, boots and all, <laughs> and like and then it's just like like worse laundry water. And you, you guys got your horn. Everyone's like, take a sip, guys. Now we're all complicit. <laughs> <laughs> or if they're like, boom, oh splish splash, he's dead. All right, all right, guys, wait, we're not done. Yeah. The king said, right, he didn't care if he was sodden and supped. Yeah. We've got to do this. Guys, this brew ain't going to get any better. <laughs> if we don't sup, we are, we are inviolating. We are violating the king's decree. <laughs> Turned into a real brew. Ha ha. Sup harder, boys. Sup harder. Sup. Sup. Oh. Sup, boys. Yeah. <laughs> sup, brah. So, like, yeah. So, I, I feel like that one. That was at the fringes of of cannibalism. Yeah, you know. But I I thought it was a very <laughs> it's as horrifying as it is. It's a pretty pretty funny story about these terrible people, right? <laughs> and like, and here's the thing: it never really is clear. Like, what's the sheriff doing that they hate so much? Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is it's not like they were doing illegal shit and the sheriff was like doing well, his job. Because, we don't know. Well, we we but but he couldn't have gone to the king and complained. These cops oh, yeah. keep hassling me about my growing operation, my lord. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's totally a case of them being like, here's the outcome I want. I'm <laughs> going to push you until you say yeah. it's okay to get the outcome. That he I said want. it. Y'all heard him. Yeah, yeah. He said it by Supton Brew. Gotta go. Get the cover ready. <laughs> Supton Brew. Jesus. So Scotland's independence from England was constantly fought for over the years with a united and independent Scotland being won in the early 14th century with religious and monarchy tensions high as well as bankruptcy of the aristocracy. Scotland was in a bad way by the start of the 18th century. James Douglas, second Duke of Queensbury, had a tumultuous political life around 1700 CE. Serving as Lord High Commissioner and then Keeper of the Privy Seal, he procured the signing of the Treaty of Union in 1707, which was the agreement that led to the creation of Great Britain. Ooh! As you might expect, that did not sit well with many folks, and the night it was signed, there were riots in Scotland. The Duke wisely stayed away from his home in Edinburgh, but trouble of a different sort found its way there. Or rather, from there. <laughs> or to there. Or, or under or then, then there. <laughs> then for never. <laughs> Douglas's eldest son, James II, Earl of Drumlingring. Drumlanring. Drumlanrig. Drumlanrig. Drumline. Drumline. Was supposed to have died young, but that was an untruth. He was alive and well and reportedly insane, kept locked in the attic and fed fish heads while he sewed pigeons and rats together. <laughs> Just kidding, <laughs> but he was kept locked in the attic and was apparently dangerous. Is that Bart's brother? Yeah. yeah. Hugo, Earl of Drumlandrig. <laughs> 
Uh, Yeah, he was apparently dangerous, being a large and brutish boy of great strength. And to me, this sounds like he might have been autistic. Oh. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Which they, I guess, probably would have considered insane at the time. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it doesn't take much, and people seem to really enjoy sealing people into attics back then. (laughs) Well, on the night of the riots, it was only him and the servants in Queensbury House. And wouldn't you know it, the little sh escaped damn it he's out loose again <laughs> he's out loose again too crazy for boys town too much of a boy for crazy town <laughs> <laughs> what are we to do um, my favorite part of that is like when he's like here hugo you've never seen yourself in the mirror have a look punch <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember that no it's just an empty picture frame <laughs> he holds it up and it's dr hibbert's face and then he just punches him in the face <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great um so after a while his escape was discovered and this this is okay now this is where it gets a little heavy so <laughs> with this uh, and a gruesome sight met the servants who found him. He was in the kitchen, eating parts of a servant boy that he had roasted on a spit. Mm, that's good, servant boy. The Duke couldn't hide him anymore, and James was taken away to England, where he died soon after. Talks of a curse on the Douglas family sprang up later, as it was remembered that the first Duke of Queensbury's daughter had died horrifically when her apron had caught fire, causing her lethal burns. Then the second duke's second son married a woman who was not all there herself and had a son even more mad who one day rode a horse in front of his mother's carriage and shot himself dead. And one legend tells... Wait a minute. minute. What does the horse have to do with that, though? He just was like, hey, I'm on a horse. Do you see me? Blam. I think so. Okay. I, I thought that somehow the horse was involved in the death. No. No, the horse was cleared of all of any wrongdoing. It was, it was a uh, innocent. Uh, <laughs> they just bystander. cut to like the horse just gore dripping down. <laughs> Nay! Uh, and legend tells that on the day and hour of the death of the first duke in 1695, a Scottish skipper who was at the time in Sicily swears to have witnessed the sight of a flaming coach and six horses driving up the side of Mount Etna and disappearing into the fiery caldera. As it passed, he heard a diabolical voice cry out, Make way for the dick of Drumlon Ring! (laughs) (laughs) So wait, it's in Italy? <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense. Wow, yeah, it's the dumbest. As <laughs> <laughs> a curse, all right. Some guy in Italy swears he saw something Scottish. Now, here's a good question for you, Scottish skipper. What does a Scottish pirate sound like? Oh, it's me, Captain Redbeard. I. The cannons, the scurvy dogs. <laughs> yeah, scurvy. I'll take it. All right. Well done. Oh God, you guys. After after last night, which apparently I was screaming the whole time or something. 
because I, I woke up and barely could speak. And even now I'm like, really? I'm, uh, I'm on the ropes with my throats. <laughs> Throat ropes? Throat ropes. I, weirdly Ugh. enough, just real thirsty this morning. I don't know why I was so dehydrated. Well, that's weird. Yeah. And that <laughs> glorious and completely non-fictional tale <laughs> brings us to the number one stunner. What, 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 what? That's right. The number one Scottish cannibal tale, that of Sonny Bean. Thunder sound. Non on a bone sound. No, not really. Don't. We don't want. The legends of Sonny Bean are as numerous as the stripes in your grandpa's turt and kilt. So numerous, in fact, that it's hard to track down the... Uh, the origin of the legend. The tales probably made their way around the southwestern coast for decades, uh, but it seems the first printed edition appeared in London in 1724, written by a Captain Charles Johnson, who also could have been a Scottish skipper. Sure. Uh, it appeared in the book, A General and True History of the Lives and Actions of the Most Famous Highwaymen, Murderers, Street Robbers, etc., to which is added a genuine account of the voyages and plunders of the most notorious malefactors of a Sessions House in in the Old Bailey, London, adorned with the effigies and other transactions of the most remarkable offenders engraved on copper plates. Uh, Two two brothers. It's just called Two Brothers. It's just called Two Brothers. That was the title. That was the full title. (laughs) That's it. It's just two brothers. It was as follows, which we, we truncated a little bit because, I mean, <laughs> damn, if that's just the title. <laughs> it's a wee bit weirdy. No, listen, this is a long thing, so for, I'm not going Scots on this because it would kill us all. Yeah. The following account, though as well attested as any historical fact can be, is almost incredible. For the monstrous and unparalleled barbarities that it relates, Sonny Bean was born in the county of East Lothian, about eight or nine miles eastward of the city of Edinburgh, some time in the reign of Queen Elizabeth, whilst King James I governed only in Scotland. His parents worked at hedging and ditching for their livelihood, and brought up their son in the same occupation. He got his daily bread in his youth by these means, but being very much prone to idleness and not caring for being confined to any honest employment, he left his father and mother and ran away into the desert part of the country, taking with him a woman as viciously inclined as himself. These two took up their habitation in a rock by the seaside. They lived in a rock. On the shore of the county Galway, where they lived upwards of twenty-five years without going into any city, town, or village, In this time, they had a great number of children and grandchildren whom they brought up after their own manner without any notions of humanity or civil society. That's to be read as incest. Gross. Quite unseemly. They never kept any company but among themselves and supported themselves wholly by robbing, being moreover so very cruel that they never robbed anyone whom they did not murder. that's, That's kind of them. Yes. By this bloody method, and their living so retired from the world, they continued such a long time undiscovered, there being nobody able to guess how the people were lost that went by the place where they lived. 
a very odd way to construct a well, sentence. 1724, old boy. Yes. How we roll. It was a very confusing time. As soon as they had robbed and murdered any man, woman, or child, they used to carry the carcass to the den, where, cutting it into quarters, they would pickle the mangled limbs and afterwards eat it, this being their only sustenance. And, notwithstanding, they were at last so numerous, they commonly and super... Oh. They were... Uh, yeah. 1724, old boy. Yeah, right? Bully. Bully. They were at last so numerous, they commonly had superfluity with their abominable food, so that in the night time they frequently threw legs and arms of the unhappy wretches they had murdered into the sea at a great distance from their bloody habitation. Their limbs were often cast up by the tide in several, in several parts of the country, to the astonishment and terror of all beholders and others who heard of it. Yes, even those who heard of it. Oh my... All the people in the adjacent parts were at last alarmed, and at such a common loss in their neighbors and acquaintances, but there was no traveling in safety near the den of these wretches. The strictest search and inquiry could not find how these melancholy matters happened. Several honest travelers were taken up on suspicion and wrongfully hanged upon bare circumstances. Several innocent innkeepers were executed for no other reason than that the persons had been, who had been thus aloft were known to, to have lain in their houses, which are which occasioned a suspicion of being murdered by them. Flora, can you imagine us reading this whilst intoxicated? I cannot imagine such as is <laughs> such that is away with the superfluous of nature. We did have such a superfluity <laughs> of, 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 of liquor. <laughs> superfluity? Fluity? Jesus. So cease to surmise that I cannot, <laughs> I cannot even imagine. Let's see. Uh, yeah, they killed some innkeepers because of reasons. The the victims had stayed at the end. Yeah. 1724. Oh, uh, yeah. 1724. Bully. So that not a few innkeepers who lived in the western road of Scotland left of their own business for fear of being made examples and followed other employments. In a word, the whole country was almost depopulated. In a word, the whole country was almost depopulated. Dun, 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 dun. Sonny Bean! <laughs> dun 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 dun! Eating limbs! <laughs> Why is Lil Sweet doing that? <laughs> I love Lil Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Sonny's family was at last grown very large, and every branch of it, as soon as able, was assisted in perpetrating their wicked deeds, which they still followed with impunity. Sometimes they would attack four, five, or six footmen together, but never more than two if they were on horseback. They were, moreover, so careful that not one whom they fell upon should escape, and that an ambuscade was placed on every side to secure them. How was it possible that they should be detected when not one that saw them ever saw anybody else afterwards? An excellent question. <laughs> the place where they inhabited was quite solitary and lonesome, and when the tide came up, the water went near 200 yards into their subterraneous habitation, which reached almost a mile underground, so that when some who had been sent armed to search by all, all the by-places about have passed by the mouth of their cave, they have never taken any notice of it, not supposing that anything human would reside in such a place of perpetual horror and darkness. Not supposing that anyone would write something of such horror oh, and darkness. No. It continues thusly. 
The number of people these savages destroyed was never exactly known, but it was generally computed that in the 25 years they continued their butcheries, they had washed their hands in the blood of a thousand at least, men, women, and children. The manner how they were at last discovered was as follows. A man and his wife behind him on the same horse, coming one evening home from a fair and falling into the ambuscade of these merciless wretches, they fell upon them in the most furious manner. The man, to save himself as well as he could, fought very bravely against them with sword and pistol, riding some of them down by main force of his horse. In the conflict, the poor woman fell from behind him and was instantly murdered before her husband's face, for the female cannibals cut her throat and fell to sucking her blood with as great a gust as, it is, as if it had been wine. This done, they ripped up her belly and pulled out all her entrails. Such a dreadful spectacle made the man make the more obstinate resistance as he expected the same fate if he fell into their hands. It pleased Providence, while he was engaged, that twenty or thirty from the same fair came together in a body, upon which Sonny Bean and his bloodthirsty clan withdrew, and made the best of their way through a thick wood to their den. This man, who was the first that had ever fell in their way and came out alive, told the whole company what had happened, and showed them the horrible spectacle, the horrid spectacle of his wife, whom the murderers had dragged to some distance, but not had time to carry her off entirely. They were all struck with stupefaction and amazement at what he related, took him with them to Glasgow, and told the affair to the provost of that city, who immediately sent to the king concerning it. In about three or four days after, his majesty himself, in person, with a body of about four hundred men, set to the place where this dismal tragedy was acted, in order to search all the rocks and thickets that, if possible, they might apprehend this hellish cure, which had been so long pernicious to all the western parts of the kingdom. Don't forget, we've abridged this version. Right? Yeah, we abridged this. The man who had been attacked was the guide, and care was taken to have a large number of bloodhounds with him, that no human means might be wanting towards their putting an entire end to these cruelties. No sign of any habitation was to be found for a long time, and even when they came to the wretch's cave, they took no notice of it, but were going to pursue their search along the seashore, the tide being then out. But some of the bloodhounds luckily entered this Sumerian den and instantly set up a most hideous barking, howling, and yelping, so that the king and his attendants came back and looked into it. They could not yet tell how to conceive that anything human could be concealed in a place where they saw nothing but darkness. Nevertheless, the bloodhounds increased their noise. They went farther in and refused to come back again. They began to imagine there was some reason more than ordinary. What, what, what does that even mean? You're, you're, you're literally hunting a familial clan of flesh eaters. Reason more than ordinary was passed a month ago. <laughs> there might be something weird here, guys. Look Did someone out. drop a bone or perhaps a ball down this cave? That's quite an ordinary reason for a dog. Did a thousand people fall to their deaths <laughs> here? Someone didn't feed this dog. <laughs> it's quite an ordinary he's, reason. He's gone mad. But wait. What? What if the reason is in excess of that which we have determined to be ordinary? Cannot be. But what, my good friend? Allow me this. 
do entertain the notion that perhaps something in excess of that which we would describe as ordinary could occur in this cave, and the dogs are attempting to alert it. Well, then that, by being excess of ordinary, would then be extraordinary, my friend. And by I'd, definition. By definition, and I do not believe such as that would exist. It's, it's, it's impossible. Let us return home to our castle where we can further debate this. I shall simply go into the cave to collect the hounds, and we shall be on our way. Very well. We shall sup at my, at my <laughs> castle tonight. I've made a most extraordinary brew. I'll bring my horn spoon. And see. Yeah, and <laughs> You know what? I don't know if people like it when we do that or not, but if Flora and I were driving in a car somewhere, we would have just done the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost an accident that it's recorded. <laughs> All right. Um, People are like, end the story, right? It should have ended. It's just about to get good, damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, take take care. This is the gr- gory part, by the way. Yeah, yeah, buckle up. <laughs> buckle up, Buttercup. Torches were now immediately sent for, and a great many men ventured in through the most intricate turnings and windings till they had last had arrived at the private recess from the world from all the world, which was the habitation of these monsters. Now the whole body, or as many of them as could, went in, and were all shocked at what they beheld, that they were almost ready to sink into the earth, legs, arms, thighs, hands, and feet of men, women, and children were hung up in rows like dried beef. A great many limbs lay in pickle, and a great mass of money, both gold and silver, with watches, rings, swords, pistols, and a large quantity of cloths, both linen and woolen, and an infinite number of other things. Oh, thank you for stopping the list. <laughs> it's like hammers and nails, yeah. wrenches, spoons, toothpicks, salt shakers, shoelaces, peanut butter jars that will empty... But then refilled with nuts, bolts, pennies, safety pins, marbles. Who has those anymore? <laughs> and a number of, of infinite other things. Other things. <laughs> Damn, this we're doing. You can't. A- you can't say that after <laughs> listing the infinite things. Right. <laughs> Too late. This the story. Sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry, Captain Johnson. But this story yeah. is so long. We have jumped the shark on it. Right? Damn it, Captain. In <laughs> uh, uh, an infinite number of other things which they had taken from those whom they had murdered were thrown in together in heaps or hung up against the sides of the den. Sawney's family at this time, besides him, consisted of his wife, eight sons, six daughters, 18 grandsons, and 14 granddaughters. All were begotten in incest. These were all seized and pinioned by his majesty's order in the first place. Then they took what human flesh they found and buried it in the sands. Afterwards, loading themselves with spoils which they found, they returned to Edinburgh with their prisoners. All of the country, as they passed along, flocking to see this cursed tribe. When they were come to their journey's end, the wretches were all committed to the... They were all committed to the toll booth with Willie. (laughs) Dollar 25 you fucking cannibals! <laughs> From whence they were to die the next day, conducted under a strong guard to Leith, uh, they were all executed without any process, it being thought needless to try creatures who were even professed enemies to mankind. 
The men had their first privy members. Whoa. The men had their first privy members cut off and thrown into the fire before their faces. Then their hands and legs were severed from their bodies, by which amputations they bled to death in some hours. The wife, daughters, and grandchildren, having been made spectators of this just punishment inflicted on the men, were afterwards burnt to death in three, in three several fires. Wait, what? Which like, is, which is that is like it? twelve or? Right. Is oh. it three times a several? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Thirteen, fourteen, maybe. They all in general died without the least signs of repentance, but continued cursing and venting the most dreadful imprecations to the very last gasp of life. So ends the <laughs> reading. But Joseph. What if, what if we had tried to do that drunk? Never. I, yeah. What if we had tried to do that in a Scottish accent, which if we were drunk, we would have tried to do. Yeah, you you would you would have gotten up, walked out, and sat in the grass. Yeah, again, <laughs> halfway through it. Jesus. <sighs> anyway, that that is the classic tale of Sonny Bean. That is yep. what you're going to find. Um, at least the kernel of every Sonny Bean story that has been told um, is all kind of included in there. It was. Uh, a guy who was uh, born in East Lothian. He was lazy, so he took off to the seaside, uh, got a, a real prized <laughs> trophy wife, and they incested a bunch of <laughs> bunch of ch- children and they grandchildren. Um, incested. And then from their little uh, seaside cave, they killed people and ate them. And the reason it was they were able to do it for so long was that the tide would come in, cover up the entrance of their cave. Yeah. And so nobody could find them. It was like a badass, uh, horrible necro bat cave. Yeah. And then finally, uh, they done f***ed up once and let somebody get away after he saw his wife be right, like completely torn apart by these cannibals. Uh, and so, yeah. And then they got, they finally got the dogs on them and the dogs found them and, and they looked at them. Yeah, the dogs realized that this situation was definitely not ordinary. <laughs> it, was, it was several factors over ordinary. Um, and I mean, that makes, I mean, it, it, it is a good story. Yeah it's, yeah. it's terrifying and weird. And you'll see like, like that story is, is kind of like the, 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 the DNA of that is in so many modern horror stories. I mean, the hills have eyes mm-hmm. straight up. Right. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people who live underground and they come out, they grab people and they eat them. And, um, this kind of thing, it plays out over and over. Like there's a ton of different movies that kind of have this pieces of this, of this in them, you know, like the lore of it is, yeah, yeah. Texas Chainsaw, you know, like a crazy family who eats people, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, what is that? Um, I only saw the devil's rejects. But I think House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, the the Rob Zombie yeah. joint. I yeah, I never saw House of a Thousand Corpses, but I um, but I think that was in there too. Um, the Hills Have Eyes, obviously, both versions. And then there's, is it still Hills Have Eyes where they're like in the the Southwest or like or New Mexico, and it's like the old bomb testing ground, so they're all muted, mutated people, but they live underground and they maybe attack attractive college students. 
I mean, that's that's basically any horror movie, right? But yeah, no, that's you're you're absolutely right. Like, and especially the old Hills Have Eyes. Uh huh. Um, I've seen the new one. Uh, not not the newer one. Well, I mean, the newer one, yes, but it's yeah, it, like the old one was directly pulled from from this, and then the newer one's just a remake of it. Blah blah blah. blah. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, um, it's just the yeah, the story of of cannibals grabbing people and. It's you know it's terrifying in and of itself. Like, I think I think that would make an amazing like movie set in that time. Just like, that just be, the story of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like because you know there's people like disappearing, and then you look, and there's nothing. No one ever finds anything. And people get accused wrongly and and killed. You know the yeah. the innkeepers and and people are terrified and mm-hmm. and rightfully so. And and you know people. We are not ahead of this now, you know. When people get scared, like uh, it was this guy, he did it. Get him, you know. Right, like, it's like a witch trial type of. Yeah, that yeah. that doesn't change. We do that now. Yeah, uh, and at, at some point, I think it might have been one of the parts I I cut out. So you know, forgive me for that. But like, at some point, they just decided to give up trying to find out who it was in the communities. They were, just they like, were uh, yeah, they were like, it, it's still happening. We're killing people. Let's let God deal. Let let go. <laughs> let go and let God. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> Jesus, take the will. <laughs> so, anyways, different versions of this story with some additions, some subtractions, were told orally and eventually printed in little pulp pamphlets called chapbooks. Um, the trouble is, the legend took on a life of its own, and any origin quickly became obscured. Uh, Sonny Bean began to be a boogeyman, useful for getting kids to behave. So the it begs the question, did he exist? So if he did, and we take this printed source from Captain Charles Johnson, who was probably made up himself, yeah. we see interesting discrepancies. For example, why would they rob people if they never ventured into towns? Yeah. They they can just collect the shit, I guess. Well, and, but, and maybe it's... is. Uh, as a means of, I don't. I don't think that that is necessarily um, damning evidence. No, because yeah. I think part of the. I mean, if if you leave everything you don't want, then people know where you're hunting. Yeah, and so that's a that's a big clue. A, a people won't go there anymore. B it gives people an idea of where to to look. Sure. So and and it from that from that account if it's accurate sounds like they weren't doing anything with it they're just throwing shit into piles sure yep good point another another uh discrepancy the occupations mentioned the uh the ditch digging and and uh hedging stuff like that apparently they didn't really exist at the time that he might have been knob goblin um, <laughs> nice. and you might ask well what what time was it again well it was the in the story, it was during the reign of Elizabeth I while, King, while James ruled Scotland. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the, the confusing thing. You have a, you'll have a king of Scotland who becomes king of England, and then the name, the name stays the same, but the number changes. Yeah. So, like, there's a King James I of Scotland. Of Bible fame. Which was the, uh, not this one, actually. <laughs> this was the beginning of the 15th century. Uh, the Bible fame one was King James the first of England, which was James the sixth of Scotland. Jesus. 
which was the early 17th century. So the latter one is the only one to rule Scotland while Liz was on the throne. So maybe it's it's him. Maybe that's the time then. But there's no military incursion into Galloway during this well-documented time that James had as ruler. No king had any reference to the capture of a family of cannibals, a fact that any king of that time would love to retail. Oh, yeah. Hey, we came, we saw, we kicked their incestuous asses. God prevailed. Long live the king. Right. The spelling of bean could be off. Now, bean, as you'll see, it would be E-A-N. But um, it's got a bunch of, uh, you know, different B-E-A-N-E, B-E-I-N. Right. All all kinds of uh, stuff. But even under different iterations, the name Alexander Bean was not uncommon. But, you know, documentation is scarce and no other sources from the time corroborate any cannibal capture. It's just there's not a lot from the time to provide evidence. And you can see where this is going. But just a couple more points. Some folklorists have said that the legend was actually created in England as a slight to Scots. Which I absolutely can believe. Yeah. Like, in, oh, up there, this is what's happening. Yeah, exactly. In the 18th century, Sawney, the, the term Sawney, the name, became known as a slur defaming anyone of Scottish descent. And this smear tactic was documented in 1888 and might even go back as far as 1657. In fact, a Sawney hapeth was a Sawney halfpence, something that was worthless or foolish because uh, a Scottish pound at the time was worth one-twelfth of a sterling pound. Oh. And what about Christy Cleek? The story's awfully sim- uh, similar. Yeah. Begging the question, which came first? The chicken or the cleek? It uh, seems that the legend was told and retold and built upon itself. And with novelists declaring historical authenticity at the start of their versions, it became a truism in the culture. Oh. So. So probably a tale, but with with so many people being like, this is the greatest tale of cannibals, believe me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is actual histor- historical fact. You're going to love it. Everybody, everybody's been saying this. Yeah. I've, I've heard it from a lot of sources. Uh, yeah, so then it, became, uh, it just became believed. Uh, after investigating and researching the Bean legend, Scottish lawyer and criminologist William Roguehead wrote in 1934... I am driven to the conclusion that all these things, like the verbal embroideries of Uber, must be must, must be regarded as merely corroborate, corrobor- corroborative delicious detail. bottomless pasta. <laughs> corroborative detail intended to give our artistic verisimilitude to a bold and unconvincing narrative. And the cause of my skepticism is this. I've sought diligently for Sony in the official records of the time, in contemporary journals, diaries, and memoirs, in the pages of gossip and analysts, and of grave historians. And I've failed to find, either in print or manuscript, the slightest mention of him. Sonny seems to be a legend after all, but with more than a few sources of possible inspiration, from Scotland's bloody past. Bloody past! Bloody past! Yeah. So there you go. So there you go. Sonny Bean. In a painfully sober. <laughs> oh, yeah. In a, in, a, in a disappointingly sober but 
bloody nutshell. Yeah. Pickled Ooh. nutshell. Man. Scottish cannibals. You know what, Flora? Let's let's fire it back up. Let's let's see if we can get back on this thing. We can I've got a, a bottle here. I'll pour us up a couple of puns. <laughs> That was Let's get pun drunk. That was that was uh, holding an empty frame up in front of me, <laughs> punching me in the face. <laughs> oh man, you you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Oh, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, you go first then. All right. I will. Uh, all right. So you may you may have heard of this guy. It was a Scottish man who lived a troubled life. One day he'd want to kill and eat every passerby, and then the next he'd feel terrible about it, and he'd really want to help people out. And this way of thinking just kept going back and forth and back and forth. He became known as Seesawny Bean. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've heard about, there is a, uh, a politician, East Coast guy, who um, in addition to um, at night ravaging the countryside, attacking people and eating them, just growing really fat, just getting mm. super fat from it, um, but was able to avoid prosecution because he's the governor of New Jersey. He's Chris Christie clique. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. He's so fat from all the people that he eats, all the unions he eats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Been, oh, he's been sucking the taxpayers dry. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Well, I, I got, I got something connected. Maybe, maybe it's in the family line. I don't know. But there's a hoity-toity Scottish clothing store specializing in the latest fashions of clothing that feature like hooks, like you know, clasps and hooks. Uh-huh. It's called Christie Chic. <laughs> nice. I, you know, in doing the research for this, I actually found. Um, a historical account of a Scottish sea captain who actually went all the way to Japan, lived there for a while, kind of learned some of the local cuisine, and then came back and um, tried to set up himself with a restaurant. But meat was really hard to come by. So he started uh, waylaying travelers uh-huh. and um, incorporating them into uh, his Japanese soup. And he was really famous for his miso sani bean soup. Oh, miso sani. Oh, oh, miso sani. <laughs> Jesus. Uh. <laughs> 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 that was all over the place, but I, I, was, I was in love with it from the moment when I saw it. Uh, them's puns. Them's puns. Or, or is they? they? <laughs> or is they? Dun, 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 dun. A cloud of dust on the horizon. The distant rumble of thrumming engines. Burning guzzily <laughs> and spitting out fumes. Witness me! <laughs> it's time for... A Punny Road! What a pun! What a lovely pun! I pun! I write! I, I pun, pun again! Honey <laughs> Road! Let's see. Let's see what we got here from uh, uh, the past, and see what is writing shiny and chrome, and what is mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's kick it off, Laura. First up from Alex the Hoopy. Alex writes: uh, Just finished the Narco Saints episode and enjoyed it. 
Um, but there's actually another side to Narco Saints that's even darker, if you can believe that. And it might be I worth can't. might be worth a follow-up uh, type episode. The other side of that particular coin is that there are also entities that are believed to be believed to be less helpful and often harmful to people who may be praying. Like the saints, many of them are historical or folkloric figures who died in gruesome circumstances. The difference is that these are people who were wronged by the drug trade in Mexico and are now doing everything they can to hinder it from beyond the grave. They are the narco haints. Oh! <laughs> I'm surprised we never, I didn't ever think of that. Yeah, the narco tickets. Yeah. <laughs> well played, Alex the Hoopy. From Arachnoschism. Ooh! There's a thrash metal band that exclusively writes songs regarding their deepest fears. Songs such as Nightlight, Restless in My Parents' Bed, and Shadows Creeping. They are Lil Bitch Engage. <laughs> nice. nice. Got one here from Greg. No, damn. Atomic Secrets. <laughs> oh, we know. We know now. Yeah, we now we know. Everyone knows. Just finished listening to the Black Holes episode. Did you know that for years, scientists reported strange visitations by spaghetti by spaghettified agents who would strong arm them into denying evidence of Hawking radiation? No. Yes, they were the slender men in black holes. That's like that's like a pun. It's like a pun trifle. There's like layers of pun upon pun. Yeah, pun. Tiramisu pun. This is what it is. Shut up. <laughs> Misosani bean soup. <laughs> Misosani. Misosani. Uh, they weren't themselves, uh, they themselves weren't black, these fellows, as they were composed of pure photons. Indeed, they were massless chaps. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Nice. Thanks, Atomic Secrets. From Captain Jackass. Whoa. Just want to let you know you forgot about a very special demon on the demonology episode. <gasps> he's usually overshadowed by his elder brother, Pazuzu. And honestly, he's kind of a whiner, too. His name must be said three times backwards after the sacrifice of the innocent and before the drawing of the pentagram and fecal matter. <laughs> is called Pabuhu. <laughs> also, the god Thor had a nail that was made as a companion to his hammer. It was so named Arkmir. His, get it? His hammer sounds like a, like Meowmir, which is a sound a cat makes and dogs bark instead. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, there's a new cryptid seen now too. It's tall, has purple skin and shiny sc- scales. When seen on land, it just kind of flops around uselessly, doesn't taste good to eat and struggles to breathe. It's called Basquatch. <laughs> Did you guys know that while he was spending time in Scotland, the fawns got lost in the mountains and scared the crap out of people in the mist? Oh, they called yeah. him the A-Man of Ben <laughs> McDude. There's also a new exploitation film based on a miscrypted contestant. They call him Blackalope. <laughs> Stay out of these woods, sucker. <laughs> There's a new hole that Mel Waters himself was kind of hesitant to talk about. It was like the other ones, but instead of insane anti-light beams or sheep tumors coming out of it, it produced various odd scents. And sheep. It was known as Mel's Smells Hole. <laughs> I smelled that one coming. There was a box discovered recently that was discovered to have a baby in it. However, whoever owned it had terrible things happen to them, and they would have insects appear all around them, have things be thrown around by invisible forces, and oddly enough, to see operations of little baby devils. What? It was the 
devil baby box. <laughs> Honestly, I devil told that box? that whole story to try to just try and challenge you to say that three times fast. Devil baby box. 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 Now it's the background to our new jam. <laughs> Um, I'll leave you with a useless superpower, the ability to see yourself in the future, but only when you're on the toilet. <laughs> Actually, I probably, I probably could have used that last night. <laughs> uh, thank you, Captain Jack. Yes. Got one here from the devilish apparition. Oh, forsooth. <laughs> Several years ago, a certain fruit company tried to tried marketing a new snack aimed at astronomers as a healthy alternative to the usual vending machine fare. But they were unpopular because they were too dense and heavy, and eating them felt like it took forever. Everyone said they sucked. They were event horizons. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well played, devilish apparition. Devilish apparition. I uh, got one from Dylan B. Not Danby. It is said that in an ancient Turkish city nearly 3,000 years ago, they used to create little pastries coated in powdered sugar to dip into the dessert sauce of your choice. According to archaeologists, the name of this dessert translates out to Gobekli Zeppeli. <laughs> in other news, London's dealing with a whole new scourge, much like in the 1800s as this fiend leaps incredibly high, breathes fire, and assaults people at random. Unlike its predecessor, it has been confirmed to be a waterfowl. The papers call him Spring-Heeled Quack. <laughs> it's a duck. You get it? To close things out, I heard that Van Halen is getting a new vocalist. He's a bit of a recluse, and in the same breath, he likes to be around when things get crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, David Lee Mothman. <laughs> I like that. Don't stop blurieving. P.S. My blurieving nickname is in your hands. All right, Dylan B. Um, next time you write in. Dil, 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 Dilbert? Dil, Dilby? Dilby. Dilby! Um, remind us at the yeah. top, and we'll, and so it we'll shall give be. you one. Got some puns from General Hammerfist Thundercock. 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 <laughs> In the early 2000s, there was a push by Jackie Chan fans to build skyscrapers out of flexible bamboo to facilitate his karate. Uh, the problem was that once you got too close, you would be sucked in and unable to get away from these slack poles. Uh, <laughs> Nike made a brand of shoe which are extremely dense for weight training on your feet. These shoes pack all the mass of an entire Nike factory into rel into relatively small black soles. Get it? I get it. Oh, this is close. This is real close. Uh, there are some very scary spectral spooks out there in the world. One of the lesser uh, one of the lesser known throughout the U.S. but very feared in Mexico, necro haints. Oh, yeah, close. Uh, in the town of Dover, there were rumors of a terrifying demon, but it turned out but it turned out to just be the local dog Rover scheming. You know that dog? Wow. Scheming. Rover scheming. Oh, general. In ancient Rome, there was a man who was fed up with all these dejaculating equines. He was known and feared by the horses as Pliny the Gelder. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, General Ham of Fist Thundercock. Thank you, General. Oh, thank you, General. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Uh, I, let us call the punny road there because we're running long, but the yeah. punny road will continue. Oh, it never stops. The punny road is endless. Yeah, that is that's that's our curse. And honestly, do you want to get to the place that the punny road is taking you? <laughs> what is that, Puntropolis? There's lot there's lots of water and like laughing and happy times and 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 nobody groans. Nope. <laughs> that's bait. <laughs> <laughs> 
I won. I write again. Uh, thank you, everybody. Yes. Welcome to season six. Yeah, it's on. It's, it's on. on. Real hard. Uh, you guys are magnificent. Um, had a ton of fun. Uh, uh, outcomes notwithstanding with the uh, the live cast. Mm, true. Looking forward to do uh, more things like that in the future. We've got uh, we got a bunch of fun. We actually had some. Um, uh, we had a listener take us up on the bull phone. Yeah, yeah. That should be uh, happening probably probably this month. Yeah. So that that's exciting. Looking looking forward to that. Yeah, that's gonna be badass. Uh, uh-huh. We we absolutely love everything that uh, uh, you guys send to us and yep. all the all the amazing gifts and just the kind words and every yeah. every little thing it means a lot to us you just truly are really great human beings and we uh in turn try really hard to to do things we think you'll like yeah that is true um, sometimes we try too hard and by we i mean me so sorry we're not drunk today but that we will get drunk for an episode uh i just really really burned the candle at both ends and on the sides last night. <laughs> yeah, you took a you took a flamethrower kit yeah, to I the did. candle. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So my bad there. So, but um, every everything's uh, everything's great. And don't forget to go to Facebook and like us. Don't forget to give us five stars and a great review on iTunes. That yeah. helps out. Don't forget the Blair Photos archives. As of last night, I let I looked I lecked and then I looked then I licked. Um, then you locked up. Then I locked up. <laughs> uh, we were. Five away, we are uh, from the seventeenth Hildo. We've almost unlocked the seventeenth Hildo. That's right. What what an achieve. Yeah. So uh, also follow us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Go to audibletrial.com slash blurry photos. Get a free audiobook. Uh, if you did not uh, if you feel like you missed out on something, then feel free to check out Patreon. We've got tons of different levels, uh, each with their own delicious prize. That's right. You guys are great. You're better yeah. than we are. You're better than us. We strive to be you. <laughs> that's the goal. That's, that's the secret that you should know. Season six going to be a lot of fun. Oh, man. We already have promised such subjects as Atlantis. The oft-rumored Atlantis. Probably alchemy. Yeah, uh, alchemy. That's another big one. Flora's getting that tattoo this year. No, no. <laughs> Everybody tried to strong arm me into. Yeah, I love com- that. Committing to. Tattoos by vote, by a vote which had taxation with no representation. <laughs> Tat, taxation. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a level. There's a level on Patreon. I've yeah. already committed to it. So true. if we get up to there, then yeah, I'll get a tattoo. I mean, actually, you've committed both of us to that. I didn't realize that. <laughs> the devil's curse. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's that's it. We're we're gonna we're gonna end here so that Dave and I can take a break. Right. I'm tired. Take take a minute. Um, <laughs> so for this episode of Blurry Photos. Make way for David, the first Duke of Drumland Flooring. <laughs> wow. And and I have been uh, the very, very thoroughly pickled body parts of Dave Stecco. Ah! 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 Ah!